Without a doubt, over the years, women have fought for and made great strides in multiple industries, including the tech industry. But like most minority groups, they still have a lot of work to do. From battling and conquering stereotypes to facing and overcoming insecurities and self-doubt. I'm Leo Allen, and on this episode of Voluntary Input, I'm joined by Lamore Bergman. She shares how she helps women understand and appreciate their own value, and she offers practical tools and guidance for them to use on their personal and professional profiles so that they can level up their tech career. Never forced, never coerced. Open discussions about things in life that matter to you most. From tech to TV, movies, and gaming, and everything in between. Visit voluntaryinput.com to subscribe, contact us, and find out how you can support the show. Catch new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Voluntary Input. Well, Lamore, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, and for our audience's sake, um, but they really wouldn't know, but I just have to tell them, this is actually our second go around because the last yeah. time we, we both experienced some technical difficulties. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I want to thank you for being gracious enough to, to come back and, and, and do this again. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's great to be here. So could you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So hi, everyone. My name is Limor, and I'm coming from a tech background. Used to be a software engineer. Uh, and then, you know, along the way, I decided that I actually like uh, to lead and I like to work with people. And I started managing and, you know, I advanced my careers leading uh, teams and organizations of software engineers. Along the way, I also relocated with my family. So I now reside in Israel, which is my home country. But I used to live in the United States for nine years. Also in the U.S., we moved quite a bit. <laughs> uh, which, you know, I got used to that way of life, moving and, uh, and relocating. But uh, we moved back here two years ago and definitely were here to stay at least until the kids finish their school. And I thought that it is a great opportunity as we made that big change coming back here after spending nine years in the U.S. also to change my career. So I focus on supporting women in the tech industry because I've been there and I know how challenging that can be. And I do that with working with women individually. And I also work with an organization called Power to Fly, I created a mentorship program there for women and underrepresented groups. And I really am grateful for what I'm doing and the impact I'm able to make on people's life. That's great. You know, looking at some of your background, um, it, it, you said that you came to the U.S. and you didn't even really know what you were going to do or what you're going to do for a job. And you had to look for a job and you kind of just landed on LinkedIn. Well, uh, that's something that would terrify me personally. How did you how did you navigate that? It was not easy. So when I moved to the US, I had 
I still have four incredible kid children. Uh, we were relocated actually from my husband's employer and uh, I had very young kids. And I wanted to start working again. And I started doing like the traditional job searching, applying online, and it wasn't yielding any results. So then I started thinking, what should I do? And I, and I got into LinkedIn. I had a LinkedIn account then, but it wasn't very active. And I started reading everything I couldn't get my hands on on LinkedIn. I just started Googling and reading and, and signing up for webinars. And that's how I found out the power of LinkedIn. And it's more, uh, LinkedIn is, it's basically branding yourself. Um, yes. And I know a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people, we don't think about branding and then much less branding yourself. What are some tips that you would give to anyone that's kind of struggling with that about branding yourself? Yeah. So think, first of all, realizing that we constantly have to market ourselves and sell ourselves, no matter what you do. And, uh, you know, anything that you do, you have to constantly think about your public image. And it's very, very important. Any employer, any potential employer will look you up. And LinkedIn would be the first place they will look. So it's not, it's not enough to have a good resume. You have to make sure that employers can find you on LinkedIn and can get a very, very good first impression. The other thing I would say is that take into account that people don't spend more than a few seconds. So you want to have a very good first impression. Usually I tell people to focus first of all on their profile picture and background picture. So it will grab the attention of the audience visiting them and also to spend some time thinking about their headline, which is something that pe most people don't do. So you mentioned um, that primarily now you focus on uh, working with women who are trying to, uh, like the title implies here, level up their careers, uh, move on into management and leadership roles. Um, as, as you do that, what are some um, challenges that you hear from women that seem to, you know, seems to be, uh, that, that seem to keep coming up over and over again, no matter what, you know, woman you talk to, it seems they all have this same, these same challenges. What are some of those? I would say confidence issues and doubting themselves. That's the top one. A lot of times with conversations with me, I just help them just see things from a different angle and realize their strengths, their abilities, and the possibilities that they have. Do you think that that lack of confidence comes from probably past experiences? Or like, do they say to you, well, I feel this way because this happened to me before at this employer? Or or is it? do you think it's just kind of a human thing? Um, I mean... I think a lot of that because I work with a lot of women in, in tech and the environment is very male dominant. I think, I think it comes a lot from the surroundings being, and I know that because I've been there. So, and I'm still there, I'm still working, you know, in tech, with tech uh, women and with companies. And um, I know how it's like. And every person you'll take and you put in a group that is very different <laughs> from them will feel 
you know, a little bit an odd duck. Right. And 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 obviously that that impact the confidence. Yeah. And 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 moving on from that, you know, we often talk about um inclusion, diversity, and equity. Um, but some companies it's 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 almost fascinating that there are still a lot of companies that seem to struggle with implementing such things or they just feel like there's no need to. Um, what what are some steps that you you would or some tips that you would give companies themselves about uh, working on uh, equity, inclusion and diversity? Yeah, so I think many companies actually talk about it and care about it. They just don't know what to do. Right. Um, or they're just not, not, you know, I'm not ready to put the effort. I think, you know, it starts with, first of all, with having a diverse group of people. If you hire people that everyone is alike, obviously, <laughs> the minute you hire someone different, they will feel different. They will feel left out. They will feel excluded from the group. So it starts with thinking about having a diverse, you know, diverse employer em employee base. And diverse doesn't mean just gender. It means people from different backgrounds. Uh, so, and, and actually it, it really helps companies thrive. You don't want everyone to think the same. Right. Because otherwise you'll have the same outcomes over and over again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it starts with that, with the intention and implementing. And the implementation part is not always very easy. For me, it was very difficult. I, I try to hire diverse talent. And, you know, when you look for talent and software engineers, it's very difficult to be picky and say, yeah, I want to have great software engineers. And on top of that, I want to have, you know, different variety of backgrounds. It's not easy you need to intentionally put efforts and sometimes it just takes more time to hire. Psst. Hey, you want to get doomed? I'm Tessa and I'm Nicole and we have a spanking new podcast for your ear holes called Doom Generation. Listen in as two foul mouth biddies have an always casual, often comedic, what? I think we're funny, and sometimes chaotic conversation about the things that doomed us to be who we are today. Take a trip with us down nostalgia lane and we'll try not to veer off the road. Available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Doom Generation Pod and on Twitter at Doom Gen Pod. Later, Doomers! Now, I had this conversation before with another guest about that, about the difficulty with uh, hiring diverse backgrounds. And sometimes companies will say, well, the talent just isn't there. Um, they'll say, well, we can't find those people. We're trying to, but, or it seems they're not interested. Is, has that been your experience? Do you think it's the talent isn't there or maybe people just don't know where to look? I think it's a combination. Definitely, I mean, we cannot argue with numbers. And we know, for example, you know, women, there are less women in tech than men. So definitely, I mean, there are less. But it doesn't mean that the talent is not out there. You need to be proactive. You cannot assume that, you know, the, the people that will apply to your positions will be from a wide variety of 
backgrounds. You have to proactively look for them. And on top of that, you need to know how to craft your job descriptions. So it will be inclusive for everyone. And uh, there are companies who actually do just that, you know, and it helps with uh, picking up the right words in job descriptions. So it's not too muscular, for example. So it's not intimidating. And also you need to take into account that, for example, with women, women feel less comfortable applying for jobs. They don't feel like they meet all the qualifications. While men, in general, I'm just generalizing, obviously, but men would feel comfortable applying if they don't meet all the qualifications. I've heard this before, actually. That, uh, yeah, a man will just apply anyway. And I, I've done it. <laughs> like, yeah, ah, technically I don't qualify, but I'll go ahead and apply. Cause, and I just find that interesting that to the point where I, the report I'd heard about it said that to, it gets to the point where women kind of stress themselves out over it when actually they probably shouldn't. Have you come across that as well? Absolutely. All the time, all the time. So first of all, as an employer, what I've done, for example, you know, and that's how I came to work with Power to Fly. I actually started working with them as a client. It's about branding yourself as an employer that cares about diversity, putting yourself out there, putting the people, you know, if you have women in your organization or people from different backgrounds, give them the stage to, to share their experiences because people feel co more comfortable applying for companies that they feel are inclusive, that they feel that actually put that as something they care about. So branding is very, very important. On top of that, you know, for the women, women themselves, I constantly challenge them with, you know, thinking about this and not being totally, you know, perfecting themselves to be like, a 100% match because I tell them there is no such thing. And I know that because I have been crafting the job descriptions myself, you know, as a hiring manager, you always shoot for the moon. You create a job description that typically represents something that does not exist. And why is that? That actually frustrates me sometimes when, you, when you're looking at a job listing and they have all of these things and you get the job and you may do three of those things. Like, why, why put all that in there? Is this done intentionally? Is this what you're telling me? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't think it's done intentionally. I think that what happens is that hiring managers, they have, they, you know, when you start thinking about, okay, who is the ideal candidate? And you start, you know, drafting, you know, what are you looking for? And then what is really great if you'll find? And then you find yourself with a long list of things. <laughs> right. And, you know, sometimes you say, yo, those are preferred things or it's an advantage, you know, depending which words you choose. But eventually it can be intimidating, especially for women. So one thing to consider, and I've considered that in the past, is to try to relax the job description a little bit. It doesn't mean that you compromise on the people that you hire. You just mean that you make the job description less intimidating for some group of people. And I remember uh, when I was still um, in school and they would 
talk about putting together a resume and they would tell you, you know, streamline that a little bit. Don't just throw a bunch of stuff in there. But then you look at job descriptions. It's like, well, they're doing it. So why, why, why do I have to streamline my resume when they're not streamlining the job descriptions? <laughs> <laughs> so the work you do now, you said it's the, what's the name of the organization again? So I work with a company called Power to Fly. Okay. I consult with them. I created a mentorship program there and I do different things, you know, right now, mainly focused on, you know, partnerships and business development. And I do it part-time and I also work with women individually. And only in Israel or do you work with women all the time? I actually, in fact, I work mostly with the U.S. Oh, okay. And just because I lived there for so long and that's my largest network here. But but you know, the world is so big and 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 so tiny at the same time. We're global, and the pandemic just opened up, I think, everyone. Yes. You can do things virtually. Exactly, like this podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can connect throughout the world. What I also found interesting about your, uh, your background information was that it says that you've worked remotely since 2016, is that correct? Yeah, and yeah. It's, and so what did you think when people, when the pandemic first hit, and people had this shock to their system about working remotely. Did you did you have to talk with some of those people about it? Since you had been doing it so long, for you, it's just second nature. Yeah, definitely. I mean, many people, and, and I can understand that, but many people felt lonely. You know, they felt lonely because they, and, and I think it was extreme, right? Because it's not just that we worked remote, but we couldn't go outside. Oh, so a lot true. of people felt secluded and really needed the interaction, the face-to-face interaction, which is totally understandable. Obviously, we don't want that extreme. We don't want to be, you know, uh, confined in our, in our homes. But, but the things that did, re- you know, I did hear again and again, how can you actually work remote? How can you be productive? How can you trust people when you're, especially for managers, right? Many companies at the beginning, it was hard for them to really trust people that they can actually do their job when they're not in the office. Understandable, yeah. Now, I did hear another interesting conversation about that as well. Uh, when it comes to um, promotions, raises, and whatnot, about um, people of color and women being at a bit of a disadvantage as more companies talk about, well, we're just going to remain remote. Well, the conversation I heard was saying that um, that's not advantageous for people of color and women because we have to be seen by the employer basically at work before those, you know, uh, promotions and raises are considered. Have you ever heard this before this type of rhetoric or and it was a very long it was a long about an hour long conversation about it It was pretty fascinating to me i never thought about that do you have and and also do you have anyone that expresses that concern that you know if i remain remote they'll probably overlook me because they don't actually see me yeah i mean i haven't heard that specifically but i can understand where it's coming from because if you're not there how how do people realize what you do? And there are other ways to do that. And by the way, 
Uh, the fact that people of color and women are less promoted and, and get less raises is not a surprise to me. Uh, I, I see that again and again, again, mostly with women, but they have, they are asking, they're not asking the same as, you know, their male counterpart would for promotions and, you know, for, for salary increases. And, uh, I used to think that if you do a good enough job, you'll just, someone will just notice you. And unfortunately, uh, most of the times it doesn't happen that way. You have to constantly, as I said, we have to sell ourselves on a regular basis. It doesn't mean that you just self-promote yourself all the time, but you do need to acknowledge that it's, it is important to self-promote yourself and to be acknowledged for what you do making sure that everyone understands the contributions you're making. Very important, very important. So what are some things you have coming up in the future? Any special projects or anything new that you're working on that you'd like everyone to know about? Or Yeah, so I'm constantly learning. So I'm um, right now finishing my coaching certification because I started doing what I'm doing based on my experience and I wanted to get better. I wanted to get more tools. So I started to learn coaching a few months ago. It's almost over and I'll be going through um, just practicing on people, basically coaching people for very, very small amount just to get a practice. So if people are interested, you know, in working with me, definitely happy to do so. So that's kind of the next thing um, that I'm going to be focused on probably in the next six months or so. That's awesome. And they would connect with you. Would they go to a website? You have a website, don't you? That you yeah, I do. I actually updated it. Uh, so my website is morebergman.com. That's just my name. Mm -hmm. And obviously, I mean, I can be found also on LinkedIn. Limore Bergman. Also, that's, <laughs> you know, can find me there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you once again for coming on and sharing this insight. And if you ever want to come back again, <laughs> you're more than welcome, especially once you start uh, your coaching. And if you'd like to come on and self-promote, you're more than welcome. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much for having me again. All right. Thank you. Um, and as always to everyone listening, if you want to learn more, just check check the show notes of this episode. All of the links and information will be there. And if you want to find all the ways you can connect with, with me at Voluntary Input, just go to voluntaryinput.com. There you can find all the ways you can listen. You can select contact us to submit any questions, comments, show ideas, or better yet, select register as a guest because we're always looking for great guests like you. All right. Thank you very much again. And you have a great rest of your evening. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.